Well, good morning, brothers. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Riley. I want to begin by opening up with a scripture. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. You don't need to turn there, uh, but it says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Uh, well, brothers, it is a joy to be here uh, and to serve you with the word. Thank you for inviting me, Dave. Uh, this is a precious place for me. I love Southern Grace Church, Morunga. In many respects, it's where I learn about masculinity and what it means to be a man. Uh, through Dave and through many of the men here, uh, I think I came into this church hoping to be a man, wanting to be a man, but not really with a great idea of what it meant to actually embrace masculinity and what that meant. Uh, and my hope today is to really stir you up by way of reminder. For many of you, you're older than me, more masculine than me, more mature than me. Uh, but I'm going to be speaking on Manhood 101. What are the basics? What's the foundation? Uh, and the benefit of going back to the basics is that it's, it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget our first principles. But as long as if we go back to scriptures and we go back to 101, uh, then we can ensure that we're building out of the right foundation. And it always helps to be reminded, um, even if you are well advanced in years and more mature, I think it will still help us and bless us. And whether you're young and you're like I was a decade ago, maybe coming to this church for the first time, and this might be really fresh and new to you. Uh, but however we come this morning, I hope that it's a blessing. I hope that it stirs us up. Uh, and if you are older, it's a chance for you to know from the scriptures how to teach the younger men as well and, and how to help them grow. So I think there's something for everyone in, in my talk today. Um, as I was preparing this talk for my church, Southern Grace Church, Parramatta, uh, I came across a book called It's Good to Be a Man. It's Good to Be a Man. It's an interesting title, isn't it? You think uh, it sounds quite controversial almost, although it shouldn't be controversial. You think, uh, you know, if it was a book called It's Good to Be a Woman, no one would bat an eyelid. Uh, but It's Good to Be a Man, and it's, you know, it's, it's not the greatest book. I've read parts of it, and it didn't grip me a huge amount. It's been received with a lot of criticism, and et cetera, et cetera. But the title, I think, is worth it. Uh, it it's sort of just a great idea. And an idea that's challenged in our culture, it almost feels like we have to apologise a little bit for being a man or for embracing masculinity or promoting masculinity um, in some ways. In some ways, there's a whole sphere. You might have heard the manosphere or the MGTOW sphere, the men going their own way, where it's a strong embrace of masculinity, but it's not at all biblical. Uh, and so we live in a confusing time uh, where purporting or supporting manhood could sound so chauvinistic, could sound derogatory. It makes people start thinking, it's good to be a man, but what else are you going to say after that, right? It's good to be a man because of patriarchy or rulership or whatever it is, etc., etc. It's good to be a man. That doesn't mean it's bad to be a woman <laughs> or it's better to be a man. It's good to be a man is a statement that really just affirms what the Bible teaches that God created us male and female, and it was good. Uh, and so it is good to be... <clears throat> there you go, still a teenager. It's good to be a man. <laughs> but if it's true, if that's a biblical you know, idea, a simple statement, what does it actually mean to be a man? Uh, you might have seen a popular documentary at the moment called uh, What is a Woman? Uh, there probably needs to be the follow-up, What is a Man? Uh, because I think there's just as much confusion in our day about what a man is. And so my hope is today that we'll get to the heart of it. We'll get to the essence of it. Uh, my title is Masculinity 101, Embracing the Responsibility of Masculinity. You see, masculinity is not beards, biceps, bacon and beer. But far more than those trivialities, as biblically defined... At the heart of masculinity is a God-given calling to embrace responsibility. At the heart of masculinity is a God-given calling to embrace responsibility. Now, if we're honest, that probably doesn't sound very exciting or engaging, does it? What's good to be about a man? Uh, what's good to be a man? Responsibility. It sounds like, you know, a teacher would say, your year advisor or something at school, come on, boys, responsibility. Something your mum might say to you or your dad might say to you. And it can feel like a little bit of a letdown. 
And why is that? Why does responsibility and the embracing of responsibility maybe feel like a bit of a letdown? I think it's because of our our fallen human state, our, our sinful nature. At least just speaking for myself, as a fallen man, you know, we want our masculinity to mean we're served rather than we serve. We want to be praised rather than praise others. We want to be the center of attention rather than being a spotlight to others. We want the perks of hierarchy without the consequences. And we see this uh, in so many different ways in that culture. But when I was a teenage guy growing up, I had, my dad had a Foxtel subscription and there's lots of shows I shouldn't have watched. But one of them was a show called Maury Povich. Have you ever heard of it? It's, it's like Jerry Springer. And they would often have this repeated segment where it, it was a, a picture of this idea of men wanting the perks without the consequences. And I've got a little clip for us now. Let's see if it works. Yeah, you might need to press play <laughs> Yes. Andrew, you are not the heart. Ready for action, if it is close, we never relax in the outcast of everlasting. When it comes to 20 years, I pause that, yeah. All right, so you get a picture there of a guy that he wants the perks of masculinity. He wants to have sex and have an orgasm and enjoy all that goes along there. But he's so delighted he doesn't have to bear the consequences. The woman he had sex with thought he was the father and he just found out I'm not the father. Responsibility's gone. Consequences gone. I got the perks, but none of the responsibility. And if we're honest, it isn't really fun being responsible and bearing the consequences. I don't know about you, but I feel the weight and burden of it as a husband, as a father, for myself as a pastor, uh, for you in your different roles, maybe as a son, as a sibling, um, depending on your family circumstance. But if God has given us responsibility to us, that's something intrinsic to our design, and he's declared that our design is good, then one of the good things about being a man is embracing responsibility. And progressively, as we're changed by God's Holy Spirit, we will grow to see this as a good thing, albeit a very difficult and sacrificial thing. And so I have a simple hope for us today. My hope is that God would awaken or refresh our sense of masculine responsibility. My hope is that God would either awaken it for the first time or refresh that sense of masculine responsibility. And so today I want to investigate this idea, build a foundation for this principle, and then kind of look to apply it. So I've got three points, one for our head, one for our heart, one for our hands. First point, principle one, godly men understand masculine responsibility. Godly men understand masculine responsibility. Firstly, we must understand God's primary calling on our lives. It's to take responsibility. To find this, to see this, we turn to Genesis 1 through 3, the paradigmatic chapters in the Bible that outline prototypically what all mankind and womankind is meant to do, meant to be like, and how we are today. It's likely that you know all this and you've read this many times, but it's worth reviewing it because so much of the tide of our culture is militating against this paradigm. So I believe it's worth taking the time to let the words of Scripture soak into us and it's on your notes there so let's read genesis 1 26 to 31 then god said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so god created man in his own image In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth 
and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening. And there was morning. The sixth day. So, it's good to be a man. Amen. God declared it. But notice that in this mandate to take dominion over the earth, to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue, to receive everything as ours, as mankind, it's actually given to both man and woman. This dominion mandate is given to man and woman. So both of them are meant to be a part of this great dominion mandate. So we don't get there the full definition of what it means to be a man. So what does it mean to be a man? Well, if we go into Genesis chapter 2, we get a bit more of a picture. So Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. I'll read that again. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. Both Adam and Eve are equal. Both have the cultural and dominion mandate. But to man, God has given the chief responsibility for the task. To man is given the, the job to work and keep the garden, to serve and guard the garden. The same verbs used about the temple later on. And then later on, we find out what does it mean to be a woman? Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So Eve's calling is to help him achieve those tasks. Her role is subordinate to the man's, but not inferior. She's to use all of her gifting, skill, creativity, even her leadership, to help the man with his responsibility that he has to work and keep. He is responsible. She is supportive. That's how God has set it up. We see this further in Genesis 2.19, which we won't read. Adam is given the job of lording it over creation. He names every animal, which is an aspect of dominion and control um, and responsibility. And then he chooses Eve as his helper. So there's much that could be said from all of here, but there's one concept that stands over men from this paradigm. It's this. Our unique calling is responsibility. Both have the mandate to rule The man has the responsibility for it. He's given the charge and Eve is to help him. But after Eve takes the fruit and sins in the garden, believes the lie of Satan, disobeys God and Adam is right by her side, we see this principle work out even in the fall. Who does God come after when Eve sins? Well, let's look at Genesis 3, 8 to 12. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves. It's such a terrible verse, isn't it? Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They had God in their presence, the Almighty, the Creator, the most beautiful being in all creation. And they hide themselves. But the Lord God, what does He do? He called to the man, and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you not to eat? Now, obviously God knows what's going on, but he's giving Adam a chance to confess. He's giving Adam a chance to take responsibility. And what does Adam do? The man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. It's interesting, isn't it? Isn't God sexist? He comes after Adam, you know. He doesn't address Eve first, even though she was technically speaking, she sinned first, but he goes after Adam. Why is that? Well, because even though Eve is at fault, Adam is responsible. He was called to work and keep. He was called to serve and protect the garden. And instead of fighting the snake or forbidding his wife, he goes along 
He lets down his guard and death and sin enter the world. So we see from this story, from the goodness of creation into the fall, <coughs> that at the heart of manhood is responsibility. It was designed for us before the fall. It's been cursed in the fall and made more difficult after it. But the mandate continues in the present for all men everywhere. That's why throughout the Bible, all the key positions of responsible leadership are for men. All the priests are men. All the elders of the tribes are men. All the chiefs are men. All the kings and rulers are men. Bar one woman who's a queen for a time by usurping the throne. All the writing prophets, men. Jesus came as a man. All the 12 apostles, men. All pastors, men. The head of the home, men. In every sphere of home, family, church, worship, and military, in the Bible, men are called to take responsibility and not to palm it off. And we're not to think of ourselves more highly. We haven't earned this position. We haven't like by our intellect and by our strength and, you know, we haven't worked our way up to the top and we're self-made men. No, the other way of thinking about it is, is that we're given this charge. We're given responsibility. We haven't earned it. It's not intrinsic to who we are, how great we are. It's because God has given it to us. And we're, we're managers of this responsibility, not owners. We're managers, in a sense, not entrepreneurs. We haven't taken rulership. God has given it to man. And then we have to steward it well. Okay, so that's, a, that's our first point. Godly men, masculine men need to understand masculine responsibility. We've got to get that in our head. That's important. But my hope for today is more than just head knowledge. My hope is that we would be awakened and refreshed in our sense of responsibility. And that requires that we now work down into our heart, our sense of responsibility. So let's look at principle number two. Godly men embrace masculine responsibility. Godly men embrace masculine responsibility. Personally, for me, to be honest, it's taken me a long time and I've still got a long way to go in this. It's one thing to know about it and to think you're leading and to think you're the head and to think you're taking responsibility. It's another thing entirely to do it and it's another thing actually to fully embrace it in your heart of hearts. Um, as a young man, I listened to a lot of Mark Driscoll, who's now gone on to not turn out to be uh, the greatest leader. Uh, but I, I was encouraged as a young man to think, I want to be a man. I want to grow in masculine responsibility. But I think it's taken me over a decade since first, more than that, 15 years since first listening to Mark Driscoll to actually really understand what it really means. Uh, for so many years of my marriage, I spent so much time being like Adam, blaming Whenever there was a problem, I would blame shift. I'd find a way to make an excuse rather than take responsibility. And maybe you're a bit like me. You, you kind of know you're meant to lead. You kind of understand it. you're on, it's your responsibility, but you haven't yet fully embraced it. You haven't, you're not constantly aware, I'm on. The ball is in my court. Whatever happens in my sphere, it may not be my fault, but I'm responsible for it. I think one quote that we'll, I want us to wor work through uh, will help us to gain this sense and understand what it means. It's from John Piper and Wayne Grudem's excellent, but very long book called Recover Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And the first chapter of that book, he defines manhood and womanhood, and I highly recommend reading it. And he says this, and I want to unpack this quote because I think it will help us understand, go from the head to the heart. At the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships. Let me read that again. This is the essence, according to John Piper, at the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead provide for 
and protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships. So what he's saying there is that at the heart, it's not all that you could say, it's not an exhaustive definition of manhood and masculinity, but it's the quintessential. Without it, it's not masculinity. This is the heart of it, the essence. And this is it, a sense of benevolent responsibility. Why does he use that phrase? Well, he explains, I use the word sense because to be masculine, a man must not only be responsible, but sense or feel that he is. If he does not sense or feel and affirm his responsibility, he is not mature in his masculinity. So you could be a responsible man, but if you don't sense that responsibility, you're not mature in your masculinity. The other thing is you could be mature in your masculinity, but not actually able to enact it because of your life circumstance. He goes on to say, the word sense also implies that a man may not be physically able to provide for or protect his family and yet be mature in his masculinity. He may be paralyzed. He may have a disabling disease. His wife may be the made breadwinner in such a circumstance. She may be the one who must get up at night to investigate a frightening noise in the house. This is not easy for the man. But if he still has a sense of his own benevolent responsibility under God, he will not lose his masculinity. Isn't that really helpful? It, it takes masculinity away from beers and beards and biceps and working and all these things that are, you know, the sizzle but not the steak. The steak, the heart, the essence of masculinity is us going, I'm on. And if I can, I will. If I can't, I'm, I'm torn. The, the paralyzed man who can't get up and thinks, oh, good, my wife will just do it. That's not masculinity. But the guy who's praying, God, help her. You know, I, need, I wish I could do it. Oh, well, he's still a man, even though he can't do the masculine thing and protect his home. On the flip side, a man might say, John Piper defines the mature part again in a different way. I'm a man, but I do not feel this sense of responsibility that you say makes me masculine. He may feel strong and sexually competent and forceful and rational. But we would say to him that if he does not feel this sense of benevolent responsibility toward women to lead, provide and protect, his masculinity is immature. It is incomplete and perhaps distorted. Mature means that a man's sense of responsibility is in the process of growing out of its sinful distortions and limitations and finding its true nature as a form of love, not a form of self-assertion. So you could look like you're a man because you're providing and protecting and you're doing the outward things. You're sizzling, to so to speak. But if you don't have that sense, I ought to do this. This is my God-given role. It's actually not mature masculinity. It's still motivated by pride or ego or you know, self-competence or things like that. So at the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility. So other person-focused responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships. I, I think this captures uh, not just Genesis 1 through 3, but the whole Bible storyline. A question. Do you have this sense of responsibility? Ask yourself this. Do you, in your heart of hearts, have this sense of responsibility toward others, toward women? Do you know that it's not optional to be responsible for those around you? But that you ought to. And if you do sense it, you will know it, it is a burden, isn't it? it? It's hard always feeling like you're on. <laughs> the eyes of your wife or your children or your family or your friends or God are upon you looking to you. Well, God's not looking to you for answers, but you know what I mean. Looking to you for leadership, looking to you for, to set the pace, looking to you to bring joy, looking to you to bring wisdom, looking to you to bring prayer, to bring laughter, to bring romance. It's tiring. 
It's a burden. But it's a burden that we're called to embrace, to take upon ourselves. It can be tempting to want to flee, to run, to hide or to transfer this responsibility elsewhere. In my heart, I often want to sinfully retreat or trade places. Sometimes I think, why can't she be responsible in the home for our godliness and our prayer and our worship and our giving? Why can't she make the calls? I don't want to to bear it again. I don't want to have to answer for it again. But to do that, to flee, to try and trade places, is to fall into the trap of the curse and the fall. It's exactly what Satan wants for us. Sure, she might be better at it. Other people could take the responsibility better than you. It's not about competence. It's about calling. We're called to embrace it with whatever skill and competency we have. Think of the classic text in Ephesians 5. And a lot of this I'm applying to husbands and fathers. But if you're a young man or you're not yet married or you're not yet a father, there's so many ways in which you can grow into this. Um, just husbands and fathers is an easy you know, first port of call for application. In Ephesians 5, Paul tells wives to lay their lives down before their husbands and to submit to them. He says husbands are the head. And your job is to respectfully submit. That's a hard calling for a woman. It goes against their curse that they want to be in charge. And they might be better. They could probably do a better job. So what are we meant to do if we're a husband? Well, Paul says in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. For Paul, at the heart of embracing masculine responsibility for a husband means sacrificially laying down your life for your wife so that she is better off. And you can apply this more broadly, laying down your life for others, a benevolent responsibility so that they are better off. And he appeals to Jesus' love as the ultimate example of what it looks like to embrace responsibility. Think of Christ. Jesus, who was not at fault at all, who had committed no sin, no deceit was in his mouth, yet he took responsibility for our sin. He left heaven out of love, out of no prerogative, out of no necessity. He didn't have to come. And then he lives a perfect life, obeys the law of God, submits to the will of the Father and is offered upon the cross for your sin and my sin. He bears responsibility as the ultimate man, even though he was not at fault. In Christ, we have the perfect example of what Adam should have been. He is the better Adam. And to Christ, we look to find out how to be the best type of man. Sacrificially laying down our lives, taking responsibility for others' good. And this is what Adam should have done in the garden. When Eve sinned, he should have taken Eve to God and said, my wife has sinned against you. There's no denying it. But take my life instead of hers. He should have laid down his life. He should have taken responsibility for his failure to lead and offered himself in place of his wife. And that's what Christ has done for you and I. So mature, godly masculinity requires not only knowing we're responsible, but embracing that responsibility. We must take it upon ourselves. We must own it. We must wear it in our self-conception, in the depth of our being, in our identity. We must think, I am on. It's my calling. It's my home, it's my family, it's my house, it's my garden, whatever that looks like for you. So my hope for today is that we would be awakened or refreshed in our sense of responsibility. Whether we're young, whether we're old, that we would know it, understand it and embrace it. So that's principle number two. So principle one, understand your responsibility. Principle two, godly men... Embrace masculine responsibility. Principle three, masculinity 101, is godly men practice 
masculine responsibility. You see, it's no good knowing it, <laughs> embracing it in your heart of hearts, but failing to put it into practice. <clears throat> so how do we actually put legs on this? Well, as we know, failing to plan is planning to fail. We've all been given tasks by God. If this is our duty and our calling, which I believe it is, then he fully expects us to do it by his grace. And so there is a reward waiting for us. There's grace waiting for our hard, um, to meet us in the match of our hard work. And so to figure out what we need to do, we need to open our Bibles and, and ask God and, and, and discern what are the spheres of my life where God is calling me to take responsibility as a man. What is he expecting me to do in those spheres? <laughs> what exact actions am I called to do? What do I need to do them? When am I going to do them? You know, we, need to, we need to know what am I called to do, to whom, and when am I actually going to do them? In my journey of understanding all of this, I found that it was very helpful um, was, uh, that, to make a plan, to actually write a clear description because I was so out of practice, I was so muddled up in what it meant to be a man and a husband and a father, is that I, I actually did this. I wrote down a plan of like all the kind of things I ought to do uh, and then I actually made it as a checklist <laughs> and so that I could progressively make it a habit. Um, so it went from knowing to understand, embracing to actually putting it into practice. And I've got examples of them, which Dave can give you at the end if you think that would be helpful. Uh, and, you know, checklist might not be a thing for you. For me, it helps. It's not a, a legalism thing, but it was a, it was a training thing. It, it helped me to do the same actions repeatedly um, so that I would get a sense. So I had things in there like, have I disciplined my children today? Have I trained them in righteousness? Have I encouraged them in evidences of grace? Have I checked in with my wife about how the children were when I wasn't there? Uh, things with my marriage, it was like, have I released my wife to read and pray? Have I taken her out on a date night? Do I know what book she's reading, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All these things that I think encapsulated what it meant to take responsibility of my home as a husband and a father. I wrote down, I was ticking them, crossing them, submitting them to my mates uh, to get their helpful um, feedback and just that self-accountability. And it became, it actually became a habit. And now I don't need a checklist and things like that because it's sort of come into my you know, psyche and my being. You don't have to do it like that. It doesn't have to look like that, but it has to look like something. It doesn't have to look like that, but it has to look like something. So how are you going to embrace and put into practice the calling God has on your life? You see, we lead best where we feel competent and compelled, don't we? We lead best where we feel competent and compelled. I hope that today you get the compelled bit, but we all need to grow in our competence. We need to know what God is calling us to do. And I'd recommend thinking through what are those spheres? And so maybe I started listing a few of them. Oh, there's the plan. Yeah, there you go. You can look at that. There's a, and then the next one. There you go. So you could do something like that. And then the next one. So here's a whole bunch of spheres that you actually might be called to be responsible for. You might be the head of your home. And that might, not, that might be more than just being a husband. That might, you might have relatives living with you. You might have uh, boarders and things like that. But as the husband, you're the head of the home. Uh, your husband, father. Another area of responsibility as men, we're all members of church. Employees in our organisation, employers perhaps, bosses, managers. We're all sons, neighbours, friends, and citizens. There's a lot there. And the Bible has commands and expectations and roles and responsibilities for all of those areas. It's a lot. But our calling is to figure out what God has called us to do, to take responsibility for it and actually live it now, now you might be thinking, oh, that's a lot. Uh, that, that's going to be hard. Uh, and I want to tell you a story about one of my favorite characters um, in Band of Brothers, Captain Sobel. Uh, you might know David Schwimmer as Captain Sobel. You might have read Stephen Ambrose's book or seen the HBO miniseries. See, the, the danger of Captain Sobel is probably a danger that some of us face. He knew he was responsible. He embraced 
the responsibility of being the major. He was the trainer of the great you know, paratroopers and he trained them harder than anyone. He was the best. He produced the best unit, E-Company. He knew his responsibility. He embraced it. But when it actually went to going to put it into practice, he sucked. <laughs> he was terrible. When they did the war game drills, he had no idea what he was doing. But the real problem for Captain Sobel was He wasn't humble enough to admit it and get help. And that might be a charge for each one of us. We might know we're called to do it. We might embrace it. And, but we might think, oh my goodness, I, (laughs) I don't know what to do. I don't feel competent in it. Well, don't be like Captain Sobel. Don't just bury your head and be like, well, I'll just do the best I can do. And I'm too ashamed to admit, I don't know how to husband. I don't know how to parent. I don't know how to be a son or a student or a church member or an employee or whatever it is. Don't bury your head. Look around in this room. This is a great room of men who are humble and seek the Lord. And I encourage you, find someone to disciple you. Find someone that you think is better than you in an area and just say, can you help me? I'm not a very good employee. Can you help me work like you do? I'm not a very good son. (laughs) I don't know how to honor my father. Help me. I'm not a very good husband. I don't really get what it means to lay down my life sacrificially or lead the home or I constantly just don't know what to say or do. Would you help me? Don't be like Captain Sobel because what he did was he just pressed on and he failed so hard that his company revolted. Uh, They, by revolting, they could have been all put to death um, for their treason against their commander eventually the army realized that he was no good and they re-diverted him to being just in charge of training and not in practice but we don't have that option we're on we can't be diverted away from our roles and so our only option is to get better so if you're like me and you feel like you suck at being a man and a husband and a father well embrace your responsibility and get help ask the people to come alongside you and train you Don't go it alone because the reality is your wife will know, (laughs) your your boss, everyone will know. So you may as well just out yourself and get the help. (laughs) Now, look, it's masculinity 101. We can't talk about everything. We can't go into all the details. But my hope for today is that each one of us, regardless of whether we're young or we're old, regardless of whatever sphere God's put us in, whether we're husbands, fathers, or we're not yet in that position, I hope that we have come today to know and understand what it means quintessentially to be a man, to embrace responsibility. That we've understood it, we we feel compelled to embrace it. And I hope that we'll go out of here eager and desirous to put it into practice. Because the fruit of good leadership, the fruit of good men taking responsibility is a beautiful Thing. The potential in this room to enact change in your local church, in your family, in your community, in your workplace is incredible. If by the grace of God, we submit ourselves to his plan for our lives. And let me pray to that end. Father God, I pray and ask that in your mercy, you would help us to, from your scriptures, to understand this great calling you've put on our lives. Mm. And Lord, help us to overcome our inner fallenness and our natural sinful Adam that wants to shirk or switch our responsibilities. We confess, Lord, I confess, how many times have we done this? But Lord, I pray and ask you would help us to embrace it, to rise up um, as a generation of men who embrace responsibility. And then, Lord, help us to put it into practice. Help us to figure out what it looks like in our lives, in our, in our different spheres. Help us to be humble enough to ask for help, to seek counsel from one another, to get discipleship and mentoring. And, Lord, would you bear much fruit uh, through these men and would you multiply godly masculinity in this church? I pray this for the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, the greatest man who ever lived, our Savior and Lord. Uh, We worship him. We love him. We follow him. And we ask that he would be our guide in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, thanks, brothers. Thanks for giving me your attention. What we're going to do now is take five minutes just to chat. um, Have a quick chat with those around you. What do you think? What stood out? What didn't?
you liked, what was confusing, and then there'll be a bit of a Q&A time after that. So have a chat. I think there's even a slide that says chat. There you go. <laughs> we need clear instructions as dudes. Let's bring it back in. Now, I've helpfully put on the screen as well. Uh, this is what we're doing now, questions. So. Uh, I've invited Dave, if he would come and join me as well. Have we finished the chat? We're fin- chat is over. It's now questions. Um, awesome. So, if, if any questions that arise from your chat or things you want to ask, Brendan. I'll, I'll kick off. Um, mm. Just a general question for the guy who's like, you know what, I'm feeling this responsibility, I'm sensing this responsibility, but I don't know that my wife is on board with this biblical vision. Mm-hmm. So any, any way you'd want to encourage that brother? Mm, that's a good one. Mm. What do you reckon? <laughs> I see why I got the invite. Yeah. Masculinity is taking responsibility, not what you reckon. Um, yeah, I think um, I think that's common. I think people have that at different times where they're like, okay, I see it, but my wife might not be on board with it. And I think the average guy then buries his head and hopes for the best. What's curious to me, I mean, so I've been a pastor for years, and. Uh, I've spoke to many women that are really studying God's word and books on complementarianism and want to try and wrestle it through. I don't think I've ever spoken to nearly any men because we're just like too hard box, too controversial. I don't don't think I want that. So I think the way I'd encourage people to deal with that is for men, we need to get reading and study. That's good. And then it talks about washing your wife with a word. That's what it means. As in I need to help her understand so I think where we're like, okay, I, I'm seeing this biblically. I need to help my wife. You need to understand you are her pastor, not me, not Brendan. It's you. So it's your responsibility. I've got to work this out. You can look to us for help or look for friends for help. As in, okay, how do I explain this? What do we... And then you start talking to her about it and pray for her. And then if you're like, okay, she's not seeing this, sit down with a pastor and their wife and say, listen, how, we're trying to figure this out biblically. How does this work? And... But I think where we're leading gently and washing with a word, I think we go that route. But I think what's vital is that we don't do, we don't do nothing. That's Adam and Eve all over again. You know, what's curious about the Genesis scenario is it's clear as, as Eve's eaten the, the forbidden fruit, Adam's just right there. He should have been saying, no, this is wrong. And he didn't. He just totally abdicated responsibility, which is so tragic. And I think it's very important as husbands we don't do exactly the same. Mm. And instead press in. And it's also understanding that complementarianism or what the Bible teaches is God's best for us. Yeah. So we're actually ripping our wife off. Yeah. You know, it's actually, it's not going to work properly as God has always designed it to be. And so it's our responsibility to introduce that and help that and talk about that. And the truth is for many ladies, complementarianism, it's often a bad version of it that they don't like. <coughs> The actual truth of the Bible isn't a bad version. It's a great version. And it's our responsibility to get hold of that and then pass it on. Yeah, and adding to that, I would, 1 Peter 3 says, like, uh, to husbands, uh, live in an understanding way with your wife. Uh, and knowing that they're the weaker vessel. Uh, I wouldn't start with that verse if you're <laughs> but, yeah. Hey, darling, I've been thinking. I think you're not getting this because you're the weaker vessel. <laughs> Let me read the No, that never goes well. Let me read the weaker vessel. But the, the, the idea of like being wise and understanding that there's probably fears, like you said. There's probably misconceptions. There's things like that. So don't r- launch in and be like, well, I'm the man, you know, and I'm going to lead. And it's like, okay, let's do it in an understanding way. Let's, let's be wise. Let's, let's think about how we can go about this. What will best win her? Um, how can I do this in a way that is loving and sacrificial and gentle, um, yes. but also strong and courageous? And I think that, like Dave said, I think often our wives are reading and studying more, and it might be hard mm-hmm. for them to respect you if you aren't. And so I would encourage you to get dug down deep, like Dave said, and, yeah. and be become an expert in it so that you're actually coming from a position of competence, 
not just a vague sense of, well, I was told at a breakfast I should. Um, and so you're, and the, you're the weaker vessel. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, come back. Yeah. So there's some thoughts. Yeah. Great question. So Good one. I'm a young lad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is this role play? <laughs> and I'm, I'm not married. Lots changed since the last time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do I live out this calling, you know, at school or mm. in the workplace? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Mm. A few thoughts. Is it's that sense, and I instantly looked at some of the young lads here, which I'm so glad you guys are here. Yeah, Luggy, Luggy, he's looking. You could just move to the side. <laughs> Step one is B. Here, you know, be at church, be at group, be involved and invested. But um, other than the ordinary means of grace, I would say embrace that sense. Ah, okay, I'm on. So even if you're walking down the street and you see some kind of altercation happen or you see a man yelling at a woman or or something like that, foster that sense of like, okay, I'm on. I got to protect. I'm surveying the situation or... Um, you know, in your home life with your siblings, you think, okay, I'm a dude, uh, how can I best serve my siblings? Not how can I boss them around, but how can I serve them? Uh, how can I take responsibility for my role as a son? Okay, I'm called to honour my father and mother. What would it practically look like for me to honour my father and mother? What, mm-hmm. what words, what, st- you know, actions, et cetera, et cetera. So I take responsibility for the things God's given me responsibility for um, and, and start, I think, sewing into the man you would want a woman to marry or your sisters to marry or something like that or the girls in your church to marry is start becoming that man now. Uh, and that begins by having that sense and taking it where you can. So fully, you know, if you're a student, study as hard as you can and take full responsibility. Um, if you're a worker, work as hard as you can in the time that you've got now and start sowing all those seeds going... I'm not just doing this because I want to. This gives me pleasure um, because that's fleeting. Uh, and when you don't want to, you won't do it. But do it as a sense of this is my calling um, from God and start embracing it in the small spheres so that when God increases your responsibility, you've already got that going and the, the tree is growing, so to speak. Mm. It's really good. Yeah, I think so much of leadership uh, in, in response to this young man. Yeah. <laughs> so much of our... So much of leadership is actually initiative, yeah. in a word. It, it's, it's just leaning in and going, hey, I think I have some responsibility and I've, need, I've got to try and figure it out. All the best leaders I know actually don't know all the answers. They just know they're responsible to f- try and figure it out. And so there's initiative going. There's another great scene in the uh, Band of Brothers uh, bit where it's later on in the story and there's a time where one of the, one of the um, captains comes on and the, the men are just getting shot at and taken to pieces. And they're like, sir, what are we going to do? And he's just like, I, I, and he's just freezing. And so one of the other guys ends up taking control and they get over the, he actually runs over the tank and comes back. And it's a great bit. And the original guy gets fired. He gets back to the head office and he gets fired. And the premise being that Colonel, whatever his name is, is not a bad leader because he makes the wrong decisions. He's a bad leader because he makes no decisions at all. I think that was a great line in the, whole, in the whole movie. Sometimes in our leadership as men, we're poor because we just don't do anything. We just sit. Yeah. Our wife and our kids or our friends or our community is getting shot at and we just go, oh, rather than going, I've got it, I've got it, I'm on. I've got to figure this out and I've got to ask people and look to people for help. And so I think initiative, it doesn't matter whether you're married, single, age, it's just an instant. So I think if I, was, if I was a young adult all over again, for example, in your, you're in a church. Oh, now I'm going to roll like this. If I was going to go to in a church, I think it's the young men that need to be thinking, all right, what, do we, what might we be able to do for lunch? Or where could we go? Or what, maybe we gather and do this. But it's often not. It's the ladies that are, and the young men are trying to be mothered by the young ladies. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to reverse that and go, okay, maybe we should take a bit more initiative for thinking that things that can do to gather this group together and see the group rather than just waiting. Lots of people, it's an initiative. Great question. Yeah. Uh, also a young guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> real. <laughs> um. <laughs> Look, identities are fluid. <laughs> you are what you feel. Apparently. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I guess 
we've got uh, our kids are growing up in a society right now where masculinity is synonymous with toxic masculinity, yeah. and I think that's an issue that we're all um, dealing with. How do we how do we teach our children to really embrace the good bits of masculinity as given by the Bible at the same time, um, you know, wrestling with what toxic masculinity actually is and the societal kind of view of that. Yeah. yeah. First of all, would be like example goes so yeah, far. massive. And so embrace it yourself and live it. Um, and, and say to your kids, be like me. You know, Paul said to Timothy, imitate me. He said to the Philippian church, imitate me as I, and the Corinthian, as I imitate Christ. And so I think we shouldn't be backward in coming forward to our kids and say, be like me. I'm not perfect. I'm a sinful man, you know, but I'll teach you how to be a man. Um, there's lots of bad things going on out there, um, but I'm trying to sit under the word. I want to be the best man I can be. So follow me. I'll teach you how to be a man um, from the scriptures. And, and so first step, would, I think, would be example. Uh, and then explicit teaching, I think, is like, this is what a man is. We take responsibility. So, son, I've asked you to do this, and this is a job that you've been asked to do. So I need you to take responsibility for that. I don't want to hear an excuse. I want to hear, you know, I'm going to do it. And then why didn't you do it? Oh, I couldn't, you know, oh, no, no, let's take responsibility for it. Okay, so you didn't want to do it. You simply chose to do your own will rather than God's will, which is to obey your father. So let's take responsibility for that. And so I think lots of ex- example and explicit teaching. I think we need to really teach because um, our children come out s- sinful and in a sinful world. Uh, and so everything's going to militate against it. And so lots of training, uh, lots of example and training. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's great. I just think we need to re- to uh, redeem what masculinity really is, biblically. It, I mean, it's so typical of the world and Satan to take something that's good and twist it. So, sexual intimacy and marriage, good thing. Downside, pornography. So we take something that's good and then we twist it, and now it's like, oh, we've got to keep away from all all that. Um, God blesses us with things, and we think, oh, that's good. It's a blessing from the Lord, and then Satan twists it, greed. This will make you happy, and you know? you just be shooting. So the world's always doing that, and and it's the subtle things that are harder to deal with than the obvious things. So I think even the line, which is common, you know, that all masculinity is toxic, is not true. That's the pornography version of what masculinity is, because we don't believe Jesus was toxic. So it's like, okay, well, there is toxic masculinity in the world, and we stand against that, but we want to redeem it for what it really is which is leadership and initiative, but it's leadership and initiative that's done in care and love through service, like Jesus. And I think when we model that, that does become attractive. I think it is actually where, if we can do that as a church, you become a city on a hill, and people go, I like that. What's that? And you're like, oh, that's masculinity, like the Bible talks about it. Okay, well, that's attractive. But we don't throw the baby out of the bathwater, which I think it can be easily done. So it's, it's very easy to sort of cave into that mentality and therefore just be genderless (laughs) because we'll go with it and that's not the right answer so i think that teaching training example and not caving into the idea that all masculinity is toxic and teaching instead it can be and we stand against that but we want we want loving masculinity like the bible teaches us and this is what that is and the flip side would be to be afraid that our children grow up genderless and so we impose upon them unbiblical ideas of what masculinity is and we teach them accidentally machoism equals masculinity yeah. suck it up you know you gotta <clears throat> do this sport or be like this to be a right. real man but I, we just gotta be really careful that we teach them biblical masculinity as defined by responsibility and sacrificial love and laying down your life for others thinking of others more highly than you think of yourself rather than you know you got working out and all these things or success or achievement that you know we might define as masculine but actually they're cultural appropriations of it so true part part of where it even comes from isn't it the whole not just toxic masculinity but the whole sort of concept is when we we add we add things into the bible that we think masculine so boys should play rugby and girls should play netball and then suddenly your daughter wants to play rugby and your son wants to play netball and we're like oh that's weird and you're like, okay, what's up? what's up with that already? It's like, okay, the Bible doesn't say that, but we've decided that one's aggressive and one's dainty. And I think we have to be really careful of that because I think that's a stereotype way more than the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible takes responsibility 
um, and leadership. And so I think we have to be really careful of that, not to because that 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 doesn't help create the, a good conversation start. It just creates all these weird girls have to sew and guys have to fix cars. What if your daughter likes cars? Yeah. Um, I think we have to be careful there too. Yeah, and aware that our children are born with fallen bodies and going to experience the world in different ways and have varying levels of testosterone, have varying ways in which they view the world. And so we, we don't want to impose things that aren't biblical in, in a fear that they're going to turn out to be feminine and not masculine. And the flip side, uh, masculine and not feminine. Um, so yeah. just keep going back to the word, I think, and getting counsel. It'd be good. Mm. Mm. Good one. I loved your talk. Thanks, brother. Um, I loved it, uh, especially the idea of looking at all those different spheres, mm. um, because I think that's, yeah, no matter what age we are, there's stuff in there for yeah. all of us. And unfortunately, for those of us who've lived a bit longer, <laughs> you made me go back and address some issues. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I remember I was blaming her, whereas it was my response. So that was really useful. Mm. My, my question is... Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to the disciples because he knew they couldn't do it on their own. Mm -hmm. And for us as men, as we realise our shortcomings yeah. and failures, which I think is healthy and leads us to humility, um, we, we realise we need that power of Jesus yes. in us. Have we emphasised prayer enough today? Yes. Is the question. Good. Um, given that... Uh, Jesus inspired Paul to tell the church there's gifts of the Holy Spirit, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, mm -hmm. an increase in faith, and so on. Even had to have those three gifts for a time when your teenager's going through hell on earth, mm -hmm. you know. Even that, that attitude of saying, Lord, I can't do this. The, I want to be that man who makes that decision, makes that call. But I think Jesus knows. Yeah, we he wants us to be dependent on him. Have we emphasised prayer enough? Yeah. Well, thanks for your, your comment and your, your question. I actually asked Dave while you guys were all doing the chat part. I said, what's one tip I could do to make that talk better? And he said, I think you should end on dependence um, and prayer. And so you both wise men picked up on that. And I'll own that. Well, I think we should have emphasised prayer uh, and... Let's not, let's not go out of here thinking either crippled by the weight of responsibility yeah. Yeah. or, yeah. you know, whatever. But, uh, guys, we can only do it by the grace of God. Uh, maybe I assume that too much, but let's not assume it. Let's, let's be totally humbly dependent, like the best man on earth ever was. What? The Lord Jesus Christ went often yeah. alone to pray. He prayed privately. He prayed to his father publicly, John 17. He was a praying man. Uh, even he, in the hour of his hardest trial in the Garden of Gethsemane, he needed to pray. He needed to labor in prayer, sweat in prayer, bleed in prayer. Uh, and so we'd be fooled if we could think we could do anything of this without prayer. Um, lead our families, be great, anything. Um, husbands, students, sons. So, yes, amen. And pray together, I think, you know, let's, let's, ah, oh God, you know, praying with each other, supporting each other in prayer will be vital. Yeah. Um, not feeling like, oh, I've got all these problems. Just me and God, I've got to figure this out on my own. But like texting your growth group guys and be like, hey, I, I have no idea how to lead in this situation. I don't, right. know, I, I don't know what to do. Can you pray? Mm -hmm. no, that'd be great, I reckon. Yeah, good. I just want to encourage you for from a, a verse, and then I was thinking about it while Riley was was uh, teaching. It's one Timothy two that no one likes to. Uh, well, no one likes to talk about, but uh, it's clearly in my Bible. Maybe it's in your Bible. Too. <laughs> um, so, one Timothy two verse eleven: Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And people go, oh, that's really awkward. It must be cultural. Uh, no, it goes back to Adam and Eve. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. It's a really interesting verse. And we, we, we looked at it a lot in the Philippines because it came up a lot in the ordination um, stuff. And he, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, I don't permit a woman to teach. 
Because it's actually a, a male role. Males are meant to be elders before God. It's the way he's designed it to be. And then the very next verse where he's talking about Eve being deceived, his premise isn't, oh, women are a bit more deceived than men. He's saying, listen, let me take you back to the Garden of Eden. There was this woman called Eve that took a fruit that she wasn't meant to, and Adam's standing right next to her, and he should have been saying, don't do that. And what he's saying to Timothy is, don't make the same mistake. Yeah. Don't do this all over again. You know, and so many people are making the same mistake all over again. It's just like, well, we'll just do it again because it's too hard. It's too culturally difficult. And I think if we're going to go this route as a church and even as men to take responsibility to lead, it is not popular. But it's in the Bible. I think where it leaves us is exactly where Mike's saying. It leaves us, we need to follow God's word and we really need the Lord to help us because we're going to be swimming against the stream. Um, It's not just the ladies that are swimming against the stream to embrace this. It is definitely the men as well. Yeah. Because increasingly masculinity is allegedly toxic. But this is masculinity. This is what it is. And it's from Jesus. It's from the Lord. And so we want to follow it and not rub it out because we believe he has the best for us. And I just want to encourage us as, as men, let's not make the same mistake again. That's the point. Let's not do this all over again. Let's, let's be different. Let's model something different in our lives. So why don't we just get into groups of three and four and just pray. Ask the Lord for help in this season of our lives. We so need him. And so, so let's do that.